Hello and welcome back to the Muscle Engineering Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Sotak Andre, and you're, you're listening to episode 31, in which I am joined once again by Adam Tsior for what is going to be the third installment of this ketogenic diet series. So if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, I would recommend you pause this, you go back and listen to those two because they sort of lay the foundation for what we are talking about here. But still, this episode can make sense because we touch on slightly different aspects. So what are these aspects? Well, we touched on hunger reduction, uh, whether the ketogenic diet is more effective at doing that than a traditional diet. We discussed adherence and um, we had a pretty significant um, chunk of the discussion about something that is a very near and dear topic to me and that is sort of the psychology of dieting and uh, meaningful goals and all that. So frankly, if there is one part that you should listen to is that one. I know most people are interested in the quote X's and O's of fat loss, the macros, the calories and all that. But to be honest, those are very much secondary to the kind of stuff we address there with Adam. The how is secondary to the why. Um, There is that old quote that uh, a man who has a why can bear almost any how. And that is very true. So if that piqued your interest, definitely listen to it. Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind you that if you are interested in getting into shape for summer, now is the time to start training and dieting to get in shape for summer 2020. So if you would like help with your diet and or training, I do online coaching with a limited uh, number of clients. If that interests you, then please reach out, send me an email, send me a message, and we can go from there. So with that out of the way, let's get into episode 31 of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Adam Zior. Adam, welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. Thank you, Jodak. It's uh, it's third time the charm, as they say, and um, <laughs> I cannot wait to continue where we left off. So last time I brought up the question of the ketogenic diet's impact on hunger. And back then you said that you were still uh, collecting data and uh, you wouldn't be able to give a final answer. And since then you have finalized that article. So how does a ketogenic diet impact hunger levels? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be back. I think our two previous conversations were really awesome. And uh, so yeah, let's follow. Let's follow up. And I think uh, when it comes to hunger, like we, we basically we did like another kind of review of the literature. So which searched through like uh, databases, you know, scientific databases like PubMed and stuff like that. We found, uh, we found a lot of interesting studies on ketogenic hunger, like how they measured people, like scientists measure whether people can eat what they eat and how they respond in terms of hunger. So for example, if you're put on a ketogenic diet, how do you feel before and how do you feel after? Like, do you feel more hungry? Do you feel less hungry? And uh, generally the the data in its uh, general direction is that people become less hungry on keto on average. 
So there's something about the diet that makes you less hungry. And there are many, many different reasons. Like it could be that you eat more protein and you eat um, foods that are like more whole foods, perhaps. And therefore, uh, that makes you more satiated. So you don't feel as hungry as when you're eating like uh, sugary foods. But it's not like we don't actually know why people feel less hungry on keto. But on average, we know that people do. Hmm. Interesting. I actually uh, was going to follow up with that question. Why is that the case that people seem to be less hungry than um, on a regular diet? Um, I guess we can... Um, I don't know, have you listened to the Taubes versus uh, Stefan Gene debate? Yeah, I listened to, I think, maybe 60% of it. But uh, you can... <laughs> yeah, it was a fun debate. <laughs> uh, not even you had the patience to go through it? No, I couldn't sit through the entire thing, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that gives... That's a perfect example. If, if not even you, who is deeply entrenched into this uh, field have the patience then imagine how many people tuned out <laughs> oh, yeah <my> <laughs> i mean like i really enjoyed the idea <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so anyway i just wanted to connect uh, this back to that that it could just be that um it's what stefan talks about that when you uh, eliminate these processed foods that you simply reduce the uh, food reward Mm. of the diet basically reduce the palatability of the foods and foods just become not as attractive i guess so people just don't want to eat as much mm. and um obviously there is a factor of eating high protein and once again i think we touched on this before but i think we both agree that the main benefit of a ketogenic diet is the high protein component not necessarily the high fat component although probably that plays a role too but i think that's more just of a factor of getting in calories because if you can't have carbs then you have to have an energy source somewhere and um, you uh, go to fats or resort to fats for that would you agree i think yeah you said like the protein the high protein of the diet is really important uh, i don't see how fat in itself as a macronutrient isn't i don't think i would describe it as important just to get a lot of it. I don't think that's like a goal. So, but we also have to look beyond ju just like, you know, the, the macronutrients like protein and fat. We have to look at kind of like you talked about, like is the foods, which types of foods are eating? Are they processed and are not processed? And uh, there's I definitely, I would say uh, there's a good chance that because the foods are much more, you know, on a ketogenic diet, you eat like a lot more meat and vegetables. So whole foods. And uh, that could be like a big reason for why people feel less hungry on the diet. And is there um, a consensus or some indication of uh, what the ketogenic state or ketones, elevated uh, ketone levels play in this? Because uh, Joe Rogan, <laughs> um, he likes to mention a lot that, for example, even during intermittent fasting, the reason why you don't feel hungry during the fast, for example, when you're fasting, is because you get into ketosis and then ketone levels rise and stuff. Is that accurate? Is that a big part or a significant part, or we just simply don't know yet? Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a very good question. Uh, in terms of fasting, I don't know if you would get into ketosis just by doing like a regular intermittent fast, like you know 
skipping breakfast, for example, right? That's like the simplest intermittent fast. Um, I don't think that necessarily that will get you into ketosis. I mean, maybe like a very mild ketosis, but not deep ketosis in any state. Like you typically need like two or three days um, of severe carb restriction before you can do that. And sometimes even like four or five days. So uh, probably not an intermittent fasting. And there's also a good question, you know, you asked like, is the ketones, you know, themselves, do they lead to reduction in hunger? And I, from from what we looked at in the data, then there isn't really a lot of human evidence here, right? Um, so it's a possibility, like we can hi hypothesize that, like um, that high ketones do that you that make you less hungry, but there's we don't have strong evidence. We have uh, one study that, like with kind of ketone supplements, people are given ketones and then they feel less hungry afterwards. But this could also be because the supplement consists of other things as well, right? So it's not just, uh, it could be other things that are, for example, people typically report they feel like nauseous and stuff, or kind of bad, um, they feel bad after, the, after taking ketones, which could be that this could also lower hunger because you become nauseous, not because the ketones themselves, <laughs> you know, are the cause of their hunger reduction. Very interesting. And uh, let's not forget that those um, exogenous keto supplements also have calories, right? Mm-hmm. They do. So uh, we have to be, depending on, like, people can mix all kinds of things there, but ketones themselves, I don't remember the exact caloric content, but ketones themselves, they're, you know, they're energy. So they they, they're, they have calories. Uh, calories yeah. are a measurement, measurement of uh, unit of energy, right? So they're, they're, they're quick. The quick uh, answer is that there isn't enough evidence to say that ketones themselves can reduce hunger. We just need more studies, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And it just reminds me, you know, when people dump butter into their coffee and they're like, oh my goodness, this cuts off my hunger so nicely. And I'm like, of course it does. You just dump 600, 600 calories into your coffee. <laughs> it would be a yeah. shame if it didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, eating, you know, will reduce hunger yeah, in, exactly. in the moment, right? So uh, so the question is like, do you feel hungry on average throughout the weekend? That's that's an important question because if you ask someone after a meal, are you hungry? And it's like, no, then wow, that doesn't tell us anything. We have to know like in during the week or during a week, is your hunger like 10 out of 10? Like, are you constantly craving food or is it like five out of 10? So if I wanted to like speculate, I would say that maybe the ketogenic diet, you know, when you, um, what you eat affects your gut microbiome, the bacteria that live in your intestines and such. Uh, so maybe the ketogenic diet could affect the microbiome in a positive way, which would make you feel less hungry because the gut uh, communicates to your brain a lot of different things. And um, yeah, that's a whole other discussion, but it's a it's a hypothesis at least. Yeah. That um, area is very interesting and uh, people seem to re report um, a very clear uh, mental state focus and stuff on keto and then also the carnivore, like Ben Pokruski just posted a couple of days ago something that he tried the, the carnivore diet uh, for 30 days, something like that. But I don't want to uh, digress into that, it's just something that's... Uh, interesting to mention so so far we have mostly talked about theoretical aspects you know that in theory ketogenic diet can do this ketogenic diet can do that it can do this um, it can optimize your body composition it can help you lose fat it can 
stave off hunger, but the big question is, is it actually doable? Do people really stick to it? Because, you know, it's uh, one thing to work in theory. If you can do this, then it's going to work. But the other aspect is, is it practical for most people? Are people actually going to do it? So how hard is it to stick to a ketogenic diet? Do people adhere to it long term? And um, I know that in your article, you differentiate between free living conditions and uh, research conditions, because obviously those are two very different things. So you can also touch on that if you'd like. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot of research on keto and on adherence. The thing is that, like you said, we can explain like what, what is what is the free living condition and what is like a research condition. So when researchers kind of, when they want to do research on you, they can either just tell you, give you instructions like, please eat this diet. You know, you can eat the ketogenic diet and we expect that you eat these types of food and that you uh, exclude carbohydrate foods. So that's like people do that in, they live their life as usual and then they do the ketogenic diet. Uh, so, so that's one way to do it. Another way is to basically lock people inside a hospital, uh, you know, and then you tell people, then you can kind of, you can kind of feed them and or control exactly what they eat, and then you can see if they stick to it, uh, and or you can also force them to stick to it. So what we are interested in is kind of the free living condition. So when you tell people to eat keto, but you don't like, you can't force them because we're looking to see if they can. Can you stick to the diet, right? And if you can stick to the diet without somebody looking over your shoulder all the time, then that's, I would say that's a good diet. But if you can only stick to the diet, if people are constantly monitoring you and telling you what to eat, then that's not really impressive actually, because it doesn't reflect what people, what happens in the real world. So in, so basically the short answer is people, as with all diets, people struggle stick, sticking to the ketogenic diet over the long term. So when we're talking like more than six months, um, people struggle to stick to the diet. So how do you know if people stick to the diet? Well, the first thing is you can look at, um, you can ask people to report how many carbs they eat every day. That's one way. So self-reported carb intake. That's actually not very good because people tend to misreport. So for example, I might say, oh, today I ate 50 grams of carbs. But if we actually control that, then I ate actually 70 or 80 grams. So some of it can be like people, just an accident, people don't know, or poor reporting, or it could also be like that you kind of want to present your best side, so you're kind of, you're basically lying, like a white lie, that like, if you want to, you want to believe the best thing about yourself, so you don't, yeah. So that's a, that's a challenge. So we have to kind of compare these carb intakes we have to. We can ask people to monitor their blood uh, ketones with like a capillary measurement tool. Basically, you prick your finger, you get some blood, and it tells you what your ketone level is. So you ask people to kind of report that as well, or they go to the hospital and they're measured there how many ketones they have. So that way, you can kind of double check that people, you know, they that what they that they are actually truthful about their carb intake. So what we could generally see, um, as we found when we kind of systematically we looked for. Uh, through the PubMed and search databases, and we found that so many studies, and um, in most of the studies in the long term, over six months, then people, they eat more and more carbohydrates. Like, they're, let's say they're supposed to eat 50 grams of carbs, 
So what happens is they actually, you know, after a month or after three months, it's like, okay, 60 grams of carbs. After a year, maybe it's like 120 grams of carbs. So the problem is that you're a seed, you know, you're like you're supposed to eat a certain amount of carbs, but you slowly eat more, more and more carbs. And then you're no longer in ketosis. Um, so that's an issue because, you know, adherence to the ketogenic diet on average uh, is poor in the long term. So that means that not for every individual, that's not true, you know. Uh, that's the thing with averages, you know. We, we can only say what works on average. And if you look at individuals, some people, they respond very well and they can stick to the diet and they have amazing keto levels and all that stuff for the long term. So um, I can't really say, you know, if people are considering starting the ketogenic diet, I can't say that you shouldn't try because you can stick to it. That would be absurd. Uh, I can just say that as with all diets, you know, not just the ketogenic diet, all diets, people... <laughs> People struggle adhering to them, adhering to them over time, and we see something called the obesity recid recidivism rate. What that means is that when people who are obese go on a diet, they can lose like a lot of weight after like a year of like an intense weight loss diet. But what you see is if you follow them up five, ten years later, like between sixty and ninety percent of of obese people, they they regain their lost weight. So it's kind of like, it's kind of, what's the point of losing the weight if you're going to regain it five years later? I'm not kind of, I'm not trying to blame the participants. I'm just saying that when you lose weight, the body has all kinds of uh, mechanisms to make you regain the weight. So for example, you might start to move less, to expend less energy. You might become hungrier and um, eventually you just have to eat more. So that's the the body's way to kind of, regain nobody wants to regain the weight sadly yeah it, it definitely does and this was one aspect that uh, stefan and gary uh, talked about so is it harder to adhere because you mentioned that um adherence rates in general are pretty poor in the long term and i don't know i, I i'm thinking about this because obviously it's part of my job basically to to ensure that people actually follow uh, or at least try to implement some sort of behavior change and lifestyle change that sticks with them for years and hopefully decades to come um, and I was wondering like is this simply a mental approach issue could it be that simply just the idea of being on a diet is what is tiring or gets fatiguing you know after a while or is it uh, something specific because simply the idea of being on a diet can suggest or un even unconsciously um, plant a seed that is something that you will do short term whereas if you let's say you um, identify and there is some sort of philosophy i think in this or a line of um, cognitive behavior or something like that basically you have to identify as a type of person who does that behavior so you don't say I don't eat bread because I'm trying to lose weight. You say things like, I am the type of person who does not eat bread. And it's just, it is what it is. And, you know, I do that, this, me personally, I do the same with alcohol. Like, I always smoking. It doesn't even cross my mind because I, I don't smoke. <laughs> 
and it's not really a question. Meanwhile, if I see a cake, then I don't really identify as the type of person who doesn't eat cake. I'm the type of person who might or might not eat cake, you know? (laughs) So then that question, it actually is something I have to consciously think about, and that could be one aspect, um, what I think about this. And is it harder to adhere to ketogenic diet? Um, Is it any harder? Is it harder than any other quote-unquote named diet is the issue simply name trying to name your diet in the first place well that's a tough question i mean we haven't found any evidence that the, the diet is harder or easier to stick to and it's like you say when you create like an identity about your diet you create like a a, a narrative for yourself uh, that you're the type of person that can't do this or this and maybe the, the diet the term diet itself make you think that it's something temporary um so for many people, it's going to be necessarily, if you're obese, to make like a lifestyle change that's going to last for, well, pretty much your entire life. And that's going to be like a tough thought, like you're used to eating a certain amount of food uh, and now you permanently, you have to eat less. That's really difficult. And uh, that's the recidivism rate in obesity and the problems with adherence is true for all diets. So it's not just unique to keto. It's interesting that you mentioned the long term and short term because we talked about that earlier. And, uh, you know, for the short term, I think at least, you know, for bodybuilders, for powerlifters, athletes, they won't have this issue because they're typically like they can control their weight. They're pretty lean and they can easily jump on a diet and like or use it like transitionary, you know, like do keto for like a six months and transition to something else or something like that. But for people who are obese, the advice needs to be different because, yeah, it needs to be something you if you don't make permanent changes to your life then you're going you're gonna regain the weight so maybe keto i don't know or maybe like any extreme diet is not sustainable for a long time maybe it is or maybe it can be used as like a transition for example with atkins you start with going kind of hard in ketosis and then after a while you ease back and you eat more you reintroduce carbohydrates over time yeah actually i i, I talked about this with lyle mcdonald i personally haven't read the original atkins diet but lyle mentioned that it actually was pretty solid, the original one. Basically, as far as I remember, the idea was that, um, you know, overweight people have some sort of carbohydrate intolerance, which is probably true, in that their body doesn't really handle carbs properly. So it's best to just reduce them for a while or move away from them and kind of resensitize, although I don't like that term, but anyway... I'll just use it. So kind of resensitize your body to carbohydrates and regain insulin sensitivity and that kind of stuff and then increase that um, uh, carbohydrate level. So I, I guess I might as well just bring this up because it seems like a good uh, transitional point. Um, we talked with Lyle about this, but uh, I would like to hear your opinion as well. So I, mean, I assume that you have read Christopher Gardner's Diet Fist Trial. Yep. Basically, and again, this was brought up in the Gary Taos versus Stefan Guillene debate. Um, Gary dismissed it because it wasn't true. He missed the point, basically. He missed the forest for the trees, but that's not surprising of him. Um, so his whole point was but it wasn't a good study because it wasn't truly raw carb. So they were comparing a moderate carb, low-fat diet to a moderate carb, high-fat diet. And... Um, that is, I guess, partially true, but what's partially true as well, or what's um, really important from that study, 
is that they started from a very low carb or a very low fat diet and basically instructed people to increase their carbohydrates or fat intakes by a couple of I don't know how many grams it was um, off the top of my head, but basically their point was to increase your carbs and your fats to a level that you think you can sustain. And that's the biggest lesson from there, I think, is that most likely following an extreme, either extreme low fat or either extreme low carb diet isn't sustainable for most people. Now, I know there are some who can sustain it, but most probably cannot. So... What do you think? I guess just takeaways from that study or lessons we can conclude from that or um, maybe some suggestions or ideas for people for long-term strategies on how to increase adherence rates or let's say someone had a weight loss success on a ketogenic diet uh, and they have lost a very a significant amount of weight and they are happy with where they are but would like to stay there and they would like to not regain that weight so what would be the proper or at least a valuable or valid way of transitioning away from a ketogenic diet to a more balanced diet that can be sustained long term yeah that's uh, you know that's the million dollar question right like then you can solve obesity uh, so I can just say, like, I'll I'll move just beyond the Gardner study, and I'll, I can give you, like, a summary. This actually kind of, I'm planning to write an article on this, but, like, what's the factors that make people stick to a diet? And how can they sustain it? And how can they be successful? So I think I can, I can identify a couple of factors. So the first factor is to have, like, follow-up, you know, accountability. You know, uh, some of the Virta, Virta studies... They have like a very intense follow-up with their participants. They have like a research team. They guide you from the start. They call you every week or every month. And they, you're kind of like, you're always you're always accountable to something. And somebody, are, they're watching over you. They're helping you. Some studies, they even have like weekly sessions with um, psychologists and a therapist and nutrition or dietitian, sorry. <laughs> Not nutritionologist. <laughs> so... Uh, the, the more intense the intervention is, you know, the more things that are happening, the better it is. So, for example, some studies also use like a community-based intervention. So they do all these things with a follow-up and they t they have like an entire community of people uh, join. So everyone is doing it together. You can also see this in on Facebook. Like, for example, when um, there are some, for example, keto gains, I believe, uh, they do like sometimes they have like group you know group sessions so i think where like they have like they have like a challenge or something or marty mccandall who has like a challenge right exactly uh, and then you have like a week or a month or something where you're supposed to reach a, a certain goal and then it becomes like a community thing it, it becomes um yeah, it becomes really cool and uh, people become motivated when they just if you're alone with your diet nobody to talk to about it nobody who can relate you don't have any follow-up or accountability i mean why how why should you stick to that you know it's uh, the more intense the intervention by intervention i mean everything around around the diet the more intense the intervention is generally the better now the problem is of course you can't follow people up for like five six seven years that would be to have an intense intervention for this long that would be too hard right so uh i don't know like what's the solution here um 
there is some people also suggest like personalized nutrition for example that it the diet has to be really um, personalized and individualized to your unique needs um, so they can't we can't just say oh eat less than 50 grams of carbs that's the end that's the diet that's not personalized at all it needs to be like you start here and then we we see how does that feel how which foods do you like how can you can you sustain this for a month for six months for a year okay when you can't sustain it anymore which changes can we do that allow you to not regain weight like do we need to switch food choices do we need to reintroduce a certain amount of carbs uh, there are endless questions like you know like you do coaching and stuff so you know like there are so many ways to personalize a diet and the studies uh, at least that i've read that have good success with like adherence they are they're intense and they also have like personalized nutrition and all this stuff so you brought up two very good points um the first is the value of a community and i i cannot agree more i mean um that's the power of social media right so you can if you want to and that's the downside of social media as well that if you want to you can find like-minded people and you can get into your own um uh, what's the term bubble and um that's a good and a bad thing obviously so if you want to you can find supportive or like-minded people who can support you into your weightless journey but also you can alienate yourself from perhaps other approaches that might work better or more uh, you become close-minded and obviously that's just uh, up to the individual and I don't think personally that that's the fault of the media I mean everyone is free to use the internet however they want to but um, if we get off social media then hey we might as well just find that in the gym for example you could find um, there are gyms that do these weight loss challenges there are gyms um where obviously we can work with a coach or a trainer, but also simply you can go with some friends and keep yourself accountable. Um, also, you could uh, do the same thing with your partner. And obviously, <laughs> the more um, the more you can do this or the more levels you have, it's probably you better off you are. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it. I just shared a clip from one of Jordan Peterson's recent in- interviews with someone um and basically uh this other person was saying that um his mother um never gave up on him basically and she always believed in him even more so than he did in himself and that's so powerful and jordan mentioned that if you have two parents who believe in you and who encourage you even when perhaps you would you yourself are uh trying to or or are tempted to doubt yourself then that's unbelievably powerful and um if you have both parents then that's fantastic if you have one that's awesome um so i think that extends to this uh, weight loss aspect too if you who if you have a, a partner who supports you if you have friends who are like-minded if you have a good gym community and you are part of a facebook group then i think then you are immensely much more likely to reach and sustain your goals than someone who like you said is isolated doesn't have anyone and i think in that situation the food becomes uh, <laughs> just much more tempting you know i mean food tastes great and it gives you a short-term uh, dopamine hit and um, a sense of pleasure and stuff and satisfaction and if you don't have anything more meaningful to counter off that urge 
then I think you are uh, you are fighting uphill battle. So yeah, yeah, you mentioned like there's a lot of cool, um, a lot of important aspects here. Like uh, I think sometimes when we discuss diets, we like we talk about like, you know, we talk about the macros, we talk about what you can eat, and we talk about all these details that don't really matter. Like if if the goal is to lose weight and sustain that. The biggest, actually, I would say, I also read a lot of psychology research. The biggest aspect is psychology and uh, everything that relates to that. So, uh, I mean, any, anything from, like, loneliness, like, mental health issues, they will, you know, they affect which types of foods you eat. Uh, and the environment you live in, like, the environment. We, we live in, like, an environment where there are few food cues everywhere. Well, you know, you have the ability to eat cheap foods and hyperpalatable, high-calorie foods everywhere. You know, uh, that can, that's another challenge. That's, you know, you need like the, the internal fortitude to withstand those challenges. Uh, and there, there are so many aspects here that just go beyond the ketogenic diet or the high, low fat diet. I 100% agree that um, psychology is huge. I mean, um, I think every coach who does this for a number of years, the more experience you have, the more you. Um, you tend to come to this conclusion that it doesn't matter how well put your training plan is or how well put together your nutrition plan is if you don't have a meaningful goal that's actually going to sustain you when the tough uh, times come which they will then uh, <laughs> you will not you will just you will, you will quit so that's uh, that's a life lesson right there. And the second point you brought up is the value of personalized nutrition. Now, I don't know how much is actually the personalized nutrition and how much is the appearance of it. So what I mean by this is, um, is it actually that you are um, following a particular macronutrient breakdown and the carb amount and fat amount that works with your body or simply you have this notion that hey, this diet has been personalized for me and it's going to work exceptionally well because it has been personalized for me, myself only. And I think that's the value in all of these genetic tests that are coming out and they are saying that, oh, with your genetics. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if I posted at one point a meme from Martin McDonald. Uh, it, it said that for your body type, for your body type, you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight, <laughs> and uh, that's basically what <laughs> what these uh, genetic testing companies do. Like, oh, so your genetics show that this and this, and basically your genetic breakdown suggests that you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Good, awesome. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's kind of a flip, uh, a funny and but flippant way to say it. So. Uh, in terms of personalized nutrition and like gene text testing, I would definitely agree that today we're not at the stage where you can find your genotype and kind of determine where what you need to eat to have like the perfect adherence. And so I, we're not at that stage yet. But you know, today I read an interesting paper on um, caffeine, the supplement caffeine, and how it affects your uh, performance, you know, endurance or anaerobic performance. So they did like a genotype uh, test and they found that certain genotypes, people with certain genotypes, they were less likely to have a performance effect. And some people actually have a detriment. They performed worse with, uh, with caffeine when they were given caffeine. But on but most people, like 70% or something, had the genotype that allowed them to have a performance increase. 
So that's kind of interesting because then you can start to look at that, but not not just in the performance context, but in terms of like foods, genotypes, and how different foods could affect your adherence in the long term. And maybe in the future, in like, I don't know, 10 years or something, we can be able to customize a meal plan that's like perfect for you and that will make you just feel amazing. And uh, so this is, at this point, it's speculation. I don't know if it will happen. But I think it's very likely that it will because there's so much interesting genetics research now. I think it's uh, what we talk about here is more relevant for high-level athletes who, you know, where uh, adherence isn't really a factor. I mean, it's your job. You have to do it and it is what it is. And that's where these things really shine. But I think for just a regular person who tries to lose weight, um, I don't think that these genetic um, discoveries will supersede um, having a meaningful goal and um, something to drive you and something to run away from. I think you need both of those. So, uh, like, talk to anyone who has lost a meaningful amount of weight or who has changed their lifestyle in a meaningful way. And they will, I think they will tell you. I mean, I, <laughs> I was just discussing with someone this. And like I said that, you know, in 20, 2010, um, my first girlfriend dumped me and I still remember that I, I, I had this question in my mind was it because I was fat and that was a point where I decided that there won't be ever at a point where another girl will dump me because I'm fat or there will never be a doubt in my mind that that was uh, the reason why she broke up with me <laughs> you know and hey it might sound silly but it it's not actually um, that's a serious question and um, People wonder about that all the time, like, uh, let's say someone cheats on your partner, and I know we are digressing a bit, but I think it's still relevant, and like, your partner cheats on you, and hey, you wonder, was it because I'm not physically attractive? And I think that's a serious motivation for people, so (laughs) that's just one example of my own, but I think when you find that sort of meaning in your life, when you, let's say, you want to be able to play with your child or with your uh, grandchildren, um, that, those are the stuff that really uh, make you not pick up that bag of cookies you want and choose something healthier instead. And that's what you, you're pointing at a very powerful term here, and that's internal motivation or internal drive. So you could, we generally we divide between like external and internal motivation. And when you're talking about like internal motivation, it's something like it's a bigger goal. It's something that drives you no matter what. And it's the same thing with like training and exercise. Like if you have external motivation, like, I don't know, maybe you have a friend who goes, who you like to go to the gym with and you do that. If that's like, you could say that's an external motivation. If your friend moves or you can't stop going to the gym, then you stop if you're dependent on that friend. Uh, if that's your only motivation, it, that it's fun to go to the gym with your friend, then you're entirely dependent on that external thing being there. And as we all know, you know, with life, things aren't like permanently there for us and things will change and situations will change, you will move and the external circumstances change. So that's why, that's why people struggle with sticking to the diet. Like, for example, if you want like a summer body uh, 2020, you know, the summer body 2020, so you go on a diet right now, I wouldn't say that's a strong internal motivation. Like when we're talking about a strong internal motivation, that's something more like, you know, you had a stroke and the doctors told you that you need, like, if you want to live, you need to change your diet. Then you have like this strong internal drive to fix things. And um, 
or like you said, like with a girlfriend or, you know, anything that's tra traumatic or something that's like a, a big thing in your life that you need to change or want to change, then that becomes a strong internal motivation. And that, I think that's actually, that's a big key here. Some people are more uh, reactive to that than others. Some are more internally driven, some are more externally driven. But it's a good idea to not let anything outside control you or not be reliant on anything external. Like just the other day, I forgot my headphones home. And I was like, um, should I just, you know, skip my Romanian deadlifts and put them tomorrow because tomorrow I will have my headphones with me and I was like no 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 I'm not doing that because then I've created a precedent and uh, no I still did my usual workout and it was good so uh, music weightlifting shoes lifting belt whatever it is try not to not to rely on anything external because like you said and then there's 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 the micro on on the macro scale right? I could constantly hear from people that why did you stop coming to the gym well my brother didn't come with me, my sister didn't come with me no longer, or that friend I used to come with, and I just don't like coming alone. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, I mean, look around, there are plenty of people here, you're not coming alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's not the same, you know, and uh, and that's just a perfect example of what you were talking about there. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of an episode of Bro Science. Have you seen the one where it's like, he needs to squat, but the moon and the sun needs to be in perfect alignment and the rotation on the axis. <laughs> and he needs to have, a, he can't have any pains anywhere and everything needs to be perfect for him to squat. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that kind of reminds me of that. And that's true. Like if you find like the easiest thing in the world is to find excuses for things. Uh, that's like the easiest thing in the world. So that's, that's why, um, so any, like with diet, for example, after you've done it for a year and you're like, okay, I've done it for a year. I'm good now. I want to go back to my old diet. You know, you can f come up with excuses like, oh, it's difficult or it's, uh, it's, it makes my life more complicated and it's boring. And so instead of trying to fix that, you kind of just go back to your old diet because you, you feel like you need a reward or something. So yeah, then you're, you lose your progress and that's kind of the same thing with training and everything. Like once you start, like you say, once you set a precedence, that's something you can kind of chill or, uh, for example, I, when I used to jog, I used to jog before, like many years ago, and then let's, let's say I wanted to jog like 40 minutes on the treadmill. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Today I feel like 39 minutes and 30 seconds is enough. And uh, later it's like, okay, 30 minutes is enough or then 20 minutes. And eventually you kind of, you go into a spiral where you, you just give yourself excuses and you don't follow up what you're supposed to do. So you need to be very kind of, you know, strict with yourself. And that's I, that's not really appealing for many people. I can understand that. There are much more uh, deeper reasons why um, that is the case, but it is. And the good thing is, hey, if you can create a bad behavior, then you can also create a, a positive behavior. You can choose to not quit your workout when or not skip that gym session when you don't feel 100% or this or that, you forgot uh, your headphones at home or whatever. I mean, you can always find a, uh, an excuse to not do something or you can always find a, a reason to do something and uh, the choice is, is right there in front of us all the time. Yeah, same thing with diet. I mean, you know, it doesn't, it, like, let's say you have one day a week where you can, where you allow yourself to eat kind of, uh, candy or whatever let's say you have that as a rule so let's say you're like oh well what if i start doing that two times a week like why not you know or maybe oh today it won't hurt to eat that extra 
unhealthy thing, you know, that donut or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's how people, that's how you regress. Like, slowly but surely, uh, you start eating more. And, uh, like, personally, I haven't, I can't really relate because I've never had that drive. But I know that many people, that's like an issue, that you kind of just want more. Yeah. So, I mean, people are different. Uh, I guess I'm lucky in that sense. Um, just just yesterday, I, I, I was tired. I, at like 1.30, I was going home. And I went into a shop and I got like five chocolate croissants and I ate them and today I felt bloated like hell and shitty. So there's your lesson, you know, I could have just suck it up, went home, tired, hungry, but today I would have woken up leaner and I would have been, I would have felt much better. So there's my lesson, but hey the good thing is we can always learn and you can always choose to not do the same thing next time i think what's the difference here it's called it's the difference between like acute hedonism like enjoying something in the moment which is also very difficult to resist and then there's like the long-term happiness so things that typically typically calls cause long-term happiness and satisfaction they will reduce short-term hedonism and things that increase short-term hedonism like entertainment and eating candy and foods they will decrease long-term happiness if doing if done ex- extensively basically the way jordan peterson says it search what is meaningful not what is expedient <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's much quicker 12 rules for life go read that book Okay, so let's uh, let's let's go back to the ketogenic diet and let's touch on some more uh, tangible aspects of it. So we already covered energy balance, we covered macronutrients, we covered the high protein aspect of it. We mentioned that it's most likely just a, f- a form of creating calorie deficit, and there isn't really magical necessarily about being in a ketogenic state. Are there any aspects that are perhaps unique to ketogenic diet? If you're just considering whatever, losing fat, gaining muscle, that kind of stuff, optimizing your body composition. Is there a particular reason why you should choose a ketogenic diet over another diet that's calorie and protein equated? I think one aspect that is very unique is that you eat less calories, you eat less food without trying to. So in the literature, we call it ad libitum. Uh, a spontaneous decrease in ad, ad libitum energy intake. So that what that means is that you eat less without trying to when you eat keto. Because it's satiating, you become less hungry. Uh, you also, in studies, I think people eat like 400 or 500 calories less a day uh, without really trying to. And that's actually really impressive. And that's kind of perhaps one of the biggest strengths of the diet is that, uh, yeah, that. And also when you eat keto you naturally eat more protein so you don't have to you mentioned protein equated meaning that you know you set a certain you can set a certain level of protein intake and you have to like count protein and see if it matches your your intake level but with keto the good thing is that you don't have to really count anything like you just have to eat less uh, you have to eat a low like less than 60 or 70 or 80 grams of carbs depending on the individual and then you'll be in ketosis and um, you will naturally eat more protein. So that's uh, that's very good. And uh, there are many other positive aspects like so you naturally eat less food and then you naturally lose weight without really... You don't have to count. Like you don't have to count calories and weigh food. Because it's very hard to overeat just protein and fat. It's very hard to overeat in that. And even studies where they try to overfeed people... 
uh, on keto, they don't really, they kind of fail because they tell people, okay, you need to eat like 500 calories more per day, and then people still lose weight and fat. So, so they can't, they, they struggle overeating on the diet. Uh, that would be like the strongest aspects, I think. Very cool, very cool. And I um, think that's powerful, you know. Hey, if someone just wants simple rules, they don't like to think about things, they don't like to weigh and measure stuff. Yeah, and uh, I actually, you know, I forgot to mention a couple of other benefits as well. Uh, it would be, for example, uh, studies on diabetics, on type 2 diabetics who are on ketogenic diet, they see a, ra- they see a rapid reduction in blood glucose and improvements in, you know, diabetes biomarkers like HbA1c. And uh, basically you can regress, you can fix your diabetes. Maybe I shouldn't say cure, but like when you're on keto, your your diabetes goes back to like a normal level or you like you your blood glucose becomes normal and uh, it's it would seem like on your blood test that you're not diabetic anymore now of course it's not a cure in the sense that it's permanent because if you start eating a regular diet again you know your 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 insulin and blood glucose will become problematic again right so that but yeah that's um it has and of course other benefits are like neurological for treating alzheimer's uh, traumatic um, brain damage and there are many uh, epilepsy i can't yeah i don't want to list like all the different conditions you can treat but uh, ketogenic diet has many like specific purposes and uh, yeah i won't go into cancer (laughs) that's a whole other discussion it's very interesting so i think the most practical or the most applicable one is simply the simplicity of it and the straightforward uh, rules that um, don't really have to think about. So if someone wants a diet that's relatively easy to understand and easy to has some guidelines that are easy to follow, and they don't want to think about counting calories and stuff, then it's it's perhaps a good option. And um, as far as the medical intervention, that's very cool. But obviously, that's not something we cover here. And people should just uh, discuss that with their uh, dietitian and their medical professional. But nonetheless, it's uh, a very interesting um, point to, to bring up for sure. So the last question I want to ask um, is the other side of this coin so we mentioned the perhaps the unique benefits what are some unique side effects that could appear or or that we must consider before hopping on a ketogenic diet or recommending it to someone that's very interesting there are so many different side effects here that we can discuss Uh, the one thing i just want to add to the last answer is that yeah if you're on metformin or you know diabetes medication if you go on a ketogenic diet without being monitored by your doctor, you can get dangerously low blood glucose. So please, uh, you know, if you're on any kind of medication, check with your doctor first because it can be actually dangerous to combine blood glucose lowering medication and the ketogenic diet. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, with that said, so, okay, side effects. So right now we're doing like a literature search of the ketogenic diet for for side effects. We've identified like a ton of studies. I think we have like anywhere between 15 and 25 studies we can use. Uh, we look at the studies like what kind of side effects are reported. On the ketogenic diet we see side effects. Uh, you know you typically call it under the umbrella term you just call it the keto flu right? Like in the beginning of the diet you will feel headache, nausea, 
constipation, fatigue, muscle weakness, dry mouth, bad breath, you know, the <laughs> yeah, hair loss. Um, so what I thought is was that these effects are just really transient and then they go away after like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. That's what people write online at least. But once I read into the research, I saw that many studies, some of these side effects can persist for like a year. And people like hair loss, for example. Yeah, like it's not just something that happens a couple of weeks and then it goes away. It's uh, Some studies report people losing hair uh, like a year on keto. That's actually a big issue, and uh, many of the studies also find that they, the side effects are stronger on keto compared to like alternative control diets, like a low-fat, high-carb diet. So I would be, that's something that needs to be considered. That's, yeah, there are some severe side effects here, and uh, they can actually demotivate you strongly. Um, so how, so what do you do? Like, I guess that would be like a, an important thing, like how can you kind of prevent these side effects? Um, and it would be, uh, per the literature, there haven't been a ton of studies on how to prevent it, but there are many uh, who say, many researchers, they recommend using electrolyte supplements like magnesium, salt, potassium, because the ketogenic diet is di dehydrating. It means that you lose uh, glycogen, you lose, you lose minerals, and you lose a lot of water. And these things together, especially in the first two months of the diet, can lead to severe side effects. That are very, you know, subjective side effects that are very un uncomfortable. So you can partially fix them by, you know, drinking more water and mineral electrolytes, multi-mineral supplements, and uh, doing strength training as well to maintain your your glycogen and water. Not really upsetting, but. It's certainly something that just cannot be brushed to the side. It's something serious we're talking about here. Um, I wonder how much of that is simply a badly put together diet and uh, creating some sort of uh, nutritional deficiencies. I assume that plays a big part of it in it. I mean, people seem, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I work in a gym and I, I, I vacuum the lockers and Man, in the women's locker room, like in a day, the amount of hair you can you see on the floor is just astonishing. Like I wonder, like, are these women just simply just losing hair like mad? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> are they all on keto? <laughs> just <kidding>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, what the hell is going on? Is every one of you following keto diet and you're just becoming bored? Like. Saitama, or <laughs> that's One Punch Man reference. <laughs> uh, well, I'm already bald, so um, <laughs> I don't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually annoyed by having to cut my hair. Like I was thinking about this the other day. That, hey, I, I perhaps I'll just become Jason Tatum for the summer and fuck it, be done for a couple of months. So I guess I guess just to leave with some sort of practical recommendation is if you want to follow ketogenic diet, make sure you plug in your um, commonly used foods into something like chronometer or some sort of database that will calculate your um, nutrients for you. Marty Candler has the nutrient uh, optimizer where you can do the same. Um, basically, make sure to um, not be deficient in anything. Because, I mean, if you are deficient for a day or two, who cares? But over a year, yeah, that stuff could manifest into something like losing hair or uh, nails becoming uh, weak or starting to lose bone mass or who knows whatever. So 
that's not something to take lightly. So, as always, just you know, be responsible. Take this seriously. I mean, it's your life, it's your body, and you only have one. So, you only live once, quite literally. So, you might as well be careful. Yeah, exactly. You might as well be careful about what you do. Yeah, it needs to be like any diet is a brisk, you can say. Like if the diet is poorly put together, like you talked about, that's going to be a problem. So you need to think about like what you're eating, what you're getting less of. And also on the ketogenic diet, what we see is people typically eat much less fiber. Uh, so they can drop their fiber intake by like 70% if they're on keto, which could also cause these side effects. So the more you think through the diet and plan, and have all these macronutrients and micronutrients in order, then yeah, that will be that will help fix your issues. But uh, if you kind of just do it YOLO style, <laughs> then uh, then that might be problematic. Yeah, I think we covered uh, all the main topics I wanted to go through, and in these three episodes, uh, we, I think we have given we have like what three hours of content about the ketogenic diet. So I think if people want to have a very good idea of what's going on then this will serve as a nice um, overview teaser they can read your articles and then if they uh, want to embark on it then they can get into contact with, with the dietitian or the medical professional and go from there so adam um i will make sure to link the relevant articles in the description as always um, if there's anything you want to leave the listeners with, any projects you want to direct their attention towards, um, anything you want to plug, now is your time. Uh, I think everyone should come to scifit.net, and uh, we have a we keep working on the ketogenic diets. We have some really interesting articles coming up. Like it's gonna be the ketogenic diets uh, side effects. And after that, we're going to do, I think, well, this is actually the first time I say it, but we're going to figure out if the ketogenic diet is anabolic or catabolic. There's a lot of interesting research on that. Uh, you know, some say it's protein sparing, and yeah, we're going to look into that. Um, and after that, we're going to put together like the, some kind of like an ultimate summary article of the ketogenic diets, where we basically make like a huge summary of all the different aspects of the ketogenic diets. Everything from strength training to side effects to adherence, keto flush. <laughs> like we're going to put together, it's going to be such a huge, um, amazing article that I think everyone's going to love it. And it's going to be free, of course, as it always is. Uh, except for that, I want to just thank you again, Shotek, for, uh, for, these, uh, for these interviews and these talks. They're really, I think they're really interesting. Uh, and um, I also want to thank uh, the guys over at Keto Gains. And um, Marty, McCa- uh, Marty Kendall of uh, Nutrient Optimizer, uh, Greg Knuckles of Strength Theory. Well, I can't really shout out everyone. It would be like uh, Brandon Roberts, Grant Tinsley, Vincent Sprania. <laughs> like, there are so many people uh, that I just, um, yeah, that's the ones I can mention right now, at least. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you for doing this. And it uh, uh, sounds like we might have to do part four in, in the future. That would be awesome. Maybe after like the big summary article, then we can put everything into context. Yep, looking forward to that. Okay, so that was episode 31 of the Master Engineer podcast with Adam Zior. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you find it valuable and you were able to extract some sort of uh, 
wisdom out of it. Now, as usual, I will end the episode with my top takeaways. The first is just a recap or a summary of a ketogenic diet and its main role. So when it comes to fat loss and body composition optimization, it really is nothing more than just a way to control your calories for the most part. It might have some sort of unique effects, but I think simply the easy uh, rules or guidelines it has, the constraints it puts on people, the high protein focus, which should be the focus, not the high fat component. Those are the things that make a ketogenic diet a suitable option for fat loss, not the ketones, not the high fat, not the butter, nothing like that. So if you would like to do this due to those reasons, then go for it. If you think it has some sort of magical property, it does not. I'm sorry. Second point is what I mentioned in the intro as well, and that is the value of having, first of all, a meaningful goal. It has to be much more than, oh, I just want to get chicks or whatever. Now, I get it that can work in the short term. However, when (laughs) the shit hits the fan, so to speak, and things get hard, that will not sustain you. You need something more meaningful, something to justify the quote suffering. And I know for myself, I just was not really in the right uh, mental state, I guess, in the past couple of months, which is why I did not really keep up my own personal fat loss journey, but I am. (laughs) This is my first official week of actually committed fat loss dieting. So like I mentioned in the episode as well, ask anyone who has lost a meaningful amount of weight and who has kept it off, they will give you very well-defined and very in-depth reasons why they are doing it. And then the second stage is once we have set that meaningful goal, it does not hurt to have a support community around you. Now, like I said, this can be in person, in the form of workout partners, a significant other friends, uh, that sort of stuff. It can be online via a Facebook community or something like that. It's great to have someone to talk to, someone to share with your feelings, see um, perhaps finding someone who you can relate to or they can relate to you, see that you're not alone, so to speak. And uh, that goes a long way in helping your success. So there you have it. That was episode 31. Next week or at the end of this week, if I manage, I will release part two of the conversation I had with Lime McDonald. And then the episode after that is going to be a new guest who you will all be familiar with. You'll see when it comes out and you will be very happy with it. Until then, have an awesome week, crush your goals and go lift something heavy.